You may not be aware of the fact that this coming Tuesday, October the 31st, is sometimes called Reformation Day. It's over 500 years now since Martin Luther first nailed his 95 theses to the door of Wittenberg Castle. They were 95 uh, statements which he wished to see debated. Justification by faith was not among them, but Martin Luther's name has become associated with the rediscovery of the doctrine of justification by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And this morning we're going to consider some of those aspects here as they are laid out for us in Romans and chapter 5. We're here at the very heart of the Christian faith, justified by faith in Christ. As to what that means, it's so important that we understand that. We're going to read from verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offence. For if by the one man's offence many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from the one offence resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which come which came from many offences, resulted in justification. For if by the one man's offence death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offence judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made or many were constituted sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made or constituted righteous. Moreover, the law entered, that the offence might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you that they display to us the free gift of your grace in Jesus Christ. They declare to us peace with God in the way the sinners find that peace. Lord, open our eyes afresh this morning, we pray. By your Holy Spirit, teach us and bless us. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 
Someone has said that everybody desires peace, but very few desire those things that actually make for peace. We see that in the world around us at this present moment. And I think it is true to say that many, many people do not understand the things that make for peace with God. Many people today would say, peace with God? Why do I need peace with God? They don't think God exists. They don't think God is concerned with this world. They don't think there is a God. But very few people then understand the necessity of having peace with God and how that peace is to be obtained through the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul speaks about peace with God in chapter 5 and verse 1. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. That is the only way to have peace with God, to be justified by faith. And that is what we are going to consider this morning. But do you enjoy peace with God? Let me ask you that question. Is that part and parcel of your confidence, your experience? Do I need to have peace with God? Absolutely. Why? Because we are all sinners. We are guilty before God. We are corrupt in our own hearts. We deserve God's wrath and God's condemnation. But the reason why so many people say, oh, I don't need to know about all this, is that they deny the fact that they are sinful. They refuse to recognize that. So I ask you, do you have peace with God? Or have you been caught up in the pleasures of this age, enjoying those things which won't last forever, but in trying to enjoy those things, we never very much thought about a holy God, sin, judgment, wrath, and condemnation. Those who enjoy peace with God know about those things and have taken them into account. Other people will say, well, look, I, 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 I've been a decent person. I've tried to be a decent person. I do my best to live a decent life. I'm as good as the next person. Perhaps we even secretly think, well, I'm actually better than the next person. And you try and compensate for the, good th for the bad things you've done by doing good things. And you think, well, maybe if there is a God, then he will look upon those good things and look at me in that light. Friends, those are vain hopes and false imaginations. You've been deceived. You are deluded. You're on the wrong path. You will never find peace with God that way. It's impossible. Today I want to show you the Lord Jesus Christ and the way that he has secured peace with God. The hymn writer put it this way, I hear the words of love, I gaze upon the blood, 
I see the mighty sacrifice and I have peace with God. That's my theme this morning. So as we look at Romans chapter 5 and verses 12 to 21, I'm not going to try to preach through the whole thing. I've extracted three things that we want to look at. First of all, I want to draw your attention. Look and see at the two key men who are mentioned in this section of scripture. The two men are Adam and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now they are two historical people. Adam really existed. If you wanted, as many people do, do they deny the existence of Adam and say, well, he's every man, you know, you've got to deny the existence then of the Lord Jesus Christ. These are two historical figures. Adam was the first man in the world. He is the head of the human race. He represents every man. That is the teaching of this passage. That is the teaching of the rest of the Bible. But of course the Lord Jesus Christ is not a mere man. He is the God-man. But he became man. And it is the emphasis on his becoming man and what he did while he was here upon this earth that bears then the contrast between Adam and the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is sometimes called the second Adam, or the last Adam. And he is the head and representative of the new creation. Men, women, boys and girls who come to faith in Jesus Christ. Adam is the head of the entire human race. We were all born, we are all born in Adam. But we do not all automatically then belong to Jesus Christ. And that is the point of this comparison here. We are told in verse 14 that Adam is a type of him who was to come. He's a type of the second Adam, the type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what does that actually mean? Well, these two men, Adam and Christ, who they were and what they did is of vital importance. And Adam is a type of the Christ who is to come in the sense that he is a representative and the head of the human race. Christ is the head and representative of the new human race. All those born again of the Spirit of God and justified by faith in Jesus Christ. So, go back to Adam. What did he do? Well, we are told quite clearly in verse 12, through one man, that's Adam, sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men. And if you drop down uh, to, uh, where are we, verse, sorry, yes, to verse 15, my eyes are deceiving me, verse 15, the free gift is not like the offence. And then it says, For if by the one man's offence many died, 
the one man says, well, what, what, what did Adam do? What did he do wrong? Well, if you know your Bible, you go back to the opening chapters of Genesis. Adam and Eve are created. Adam is placed in the garden. He is given a specific commandment. You can eat of every tree of the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In the day you eat that tree, the fruit of that tree, you will die. And as you read on into chapter 3, what do we discover? Adam ate the fruit that God had said, you shall not eat. If you do, you will die. That was his offence. That was his transgression. And because of what Adam did as the head and representative of the entire human race, it had a knock-on effect on all of us. Death entered into the world. Sin entered in. Death followed in its wake. What Adam did had a domino effect. Have you seen sometimes on TV or on social media, these people who set up a, a whole pattern of dominoes. It takes them hours to set it up. And they touch the first one, and then all the others go over, don't they? Well, that's, that's what Adam did. It had a domino effect. Adam's disobedience, Adam's sin, means we, because we are descended from Adam, he is our head, he's our representative, everyone descended from him, and that includes all of us, whatever the colour of our skin, includes us all. We have been dragged down with sin into sin and into death. We are regarded by God as sinners. Now people say, well, that's not fair. I wasn't there. I wasn't there in the Garden of Eden. And if I'd have been there, I wouldn't have done what Adam did. Well, that's, that's a bit of uh, pride thinking. But the fact is, you can't complain it's not fair. This is the way that God has set up the whole human race. And if you start having problems saying, well, that's not fair, you're going to have problems when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is a, and Adam is a type of him. He's the head. He's the representative of the new human race. What Adam did in his offence, in his sin, in his disobedience, has affected the entire human race. We all die. Paul says... Death reigned from Adam to Moses. Well, he, why does he introduce that? Well, of course, the Ten Commandments hadn't been given. But death still reigned. And when the law came, of course, sin increased. Because people began to realise what sin actually meant. So here is Adam. It's not just our own particular sins that drag us down and bring the wrath and condemnation of God. We read right at the very beginning, in 1 Corinthians 15, in Adam all die. That is the truth, that is the sad reality. We have sinned in Adam. Quite apart from our own transgressions and sins. That's just added to our troubles and added to the wrath and condemnation that we deserve. But death is universal. 
The sin of Adam has brought that about. Adam disobeyed then, not just for himself, but for every member of the human race. All of us have descended from him. We've sinned after him and in him, and we fell with him. The human race is what we call a fallen human race. We've sinned in Adam. And death is the consequence. And that means you have no righteousness of your own. Sin has ruined that. You do not have a righteousness. You do not stand then in a right relationship to God. By nature. Because you're in Adam. And because of your own sin. And your own evil ways. All we can bring is our guilt. And the corruption of our nature. Sin and misery. We've lost communion with God. That's true of all who live in this world and who are born into this world. That was a tragedy, the like of which has never been repeated. The day Adam sinned. So how is Adam then a type of Christ? Well, we try to answer that question. Because of Adam's sin, his one act of disobedience that is spoken of here repeatedly in this chapter, that is put to our account. We're in the category, if you like, we're sinners. The sin of Adam and our own sin is the ground of our condemnation. But in the same way as sin has been put to our account because of Adam, so the righteousness of God has been put to our account because of Jesus Christ, the second Adam. But in that respect, Adam is a type. He's a representative. What he did is of vital importance. He offended God. He disobeyed God. He brought sin and death into the world. Now, in comparison to that, here is a, he's a type, a pattern of the second Adam who comes into this world. And he brings about a righteousness. And a righteousness that is put to our account not sin but righteousness Jesus Christ represents then the second Adam he is the head of the new humanity it's this what you might call a representative principle this is the way God deals with the world this is the way God speaks of condemnation in Adam but speaks of life in Jesus Christ and you cannot have one without the other. They, they exist together. That's why Adam is a type of him who is to come. So there is a comparison. But there's also a contrast between Adam and Christ. It's death and life. That's the contrast. 
But I want to draw your attention to something that Paul emphasizes again and again. I want to secondly to look at the abounding grace of God that comes with the second Adam. Comes to a race that is condemned. A race that is under judgment. A race that will be cast into hell. That is the condemnation. Look at the abounding grace of God. Adam brought sin and death. Judgment, condemnation, ruin, devastation. It's a gloomy picture. It's dark. Our ruin is great. No question about that. But the main point to grasp in Romans chapter 5 is that your salvation in Jesus Christ bears little or no resemblance to the fall into sin of Adam and what happened then to the entire human race. The salvation that we have in Christ exceeds all bounds of our expectation. It's above and beyond anything that we could have imagined. We couldn't have invented it. We couldn't have made it up. It's about the grace of God. It's about the kindness and the power and the wisdom of God. Because the power of Christ to save us exceeds the offense of Adam and all its consequences that ruined us. Again, a hymn writer has said, In Christ, the tribes of Adam boast more blessings than their fathers lost. There is blessing, blessings which are unimaginable because of Christ. But it's because of the abounding grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the abounding grace of God. Verse 15 again. Notice the first words in verse 15. The free gift is not like the offence. One man's offence, many died. Now, here's the abounding language. Much more, much more, the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. One man's offence, one sin, brought sin and death and judgment into the world. How many offences... How many transgressions have there been since Adam fell into this terrible state of disobedience? How many sins do you have? How many sins have you committed? How many transgressions of the law of God? When it came to condemnation, one man's offence was enough to bring judgment and condemnation. Now there is a multitude of offences. Not just Adam's transgression and his consequences, but all our transgressions, all our breakings of the law of God. And here is God saying, a free gift, a free gift of pardon and forgiveness for all those offences. It's emphasised again, these, these verses ooze with the abounding grace of God. Look again in verse 17. For if by the one man's offence death reigned through the one, much more, here's the language of abundance again, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through one, Jesus Christ. 
And again, verse 20, moreover, the law entered that the offence might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 16 tells it out very plainly. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offence resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offences resulted in justification. Do you feel the weight of what Paul is saying here? The abounding grace of, the, of, of God in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he accomplished. See, the key thing is, well, what did Jesus Christ do? Adam sinned, but what did Jesus Christ do? He never sinned. He perfectly obeyed the law of God. And then he died on the cross to atone for our sins. And God says, I'm giving you a free gift, righteousness, on the basis of Jesus Christ. So what are these blessings? What is the result of what Christ did? These abundant blessings now bestowed by Jesus Christ. Well, it's all the free gift. That's a key word here. Free gift. A free gift. It's hard for us to appreciate that. It is a free gift. You don't pay one penny. You don't contribute anything. It's totally unmerited. And it is life, eternal life, instead of death and condemnation. That's the big picture. Adam ruined everybody. But Christ restores sinners and gives them forgiveness, gives them his righteousness and restores peace with God. Justification of life. But it's all who believe upon Jesus Christ and who trust him, all who are united to him by faith. Let me pause a while and consider righteousness on the one hand, condemnation on the other. Condemnation is what we deserve. The judgment, the just judgment of God. But here is righteousness. The righteousness of God. The righteousness of Jesus Christ. That righteousness of Jesus Christ he takes and he transfers it to us the proper word for that is imputes it's there in the text he imputes it's put to your account you were condemned you've never leg to stand on but now here is the righteousness of Christ and it is that righteousness which is put to your account so when God looks upon you, he doesn't see you as a sinner. He sees you as righteous and declares you righteous. He forgives you all your sins and declares you righteous in his sight. And because he declares you righteous, he's saying you have peace. Peace with me. I'm at peace with you. I'm no longer condemning you. You are now a child of God. 
I no longer look upon you as a condemned sinner. But I look upon you as righteous because of my son, Jesus Christ. Does that raise a lot of questions in your mind? You are justified the moment you believe in Christ. God pardons all your sins. He accepts you as righteous because Christ's righteousness is put to your account. It make you shake your head and say, how can I plumb the depths of that? How can I understand the love of God? How can I understand the wisdom of God? How can I understand this provision that God has made for me, for the human race? Through one man's offence, verse 18, judgment came to all men resulting in condemnation. Through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men resulting in justification of life. What was this one man's righteous act? It was not simply the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. It was that. That was the climax. But it was the perfect life of obedience that he lived. He did not transgress the law of God on any one single occasion. Remember how he was driven into the wilderness and tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And that's how our Lord Jesus Christ lived. It was a perfect life. You don't come anywhere near that, neither do I. But that perfect obedience of Christ then culminated in his death on the cross where he paid the penalty for our sin. What we deserve. He was condemned that you might not be condemned. He endured the wrath of God that you might not endure the wrath of God. But not only not endure the wrath and condemnation of God, but your sins might be forgiven, washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. And his righteousness, his obedience is put to your account. What a mystery! A profound mystery. It's real. God's word declares it. God's word declares it. It's an act of free grace. It's a free gift. Christ comes into this world, the second Adam. And with his righteousness, secured by his death and resurrection, that righteousness is implied applied to you, put to your account. It's an act of justice because the penalty of sin has been paid, but it's also an act of mercy because sinners are saved. I can't understand that. I can try and proclaim it to you. It's a mystery. So I ask now again this morning, do you have peace with God? Are you a justified man? 
Are you a justified woman? Are you trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? I'm pointing you to Jesus Christ this morning. I'm telling you it's a free gift. You don't have to pay for it. Let me try and illustrate what I mean. I'm pulling out of my wallet here a £20 note. Okay? Now, I'm staying, extending my £20 note out here, holding it out with my hand. What have you got to do to take it? You've got to get up and stretch out your hand and take this £20 note from my hand. If you don't do that, I keep it. Now what does... I wouldn't do that. I'd just ask you for it on the way out. Sorry, I'm not able to hear you. I'd ask you for it on the way out. Oh, right. <laughs> okay. But the point that I'm trying to illustrate is this. Here is the salvation which Jesus Christ offers. Here is the free gift of righteousness. I'm proclaiming it to you. But there's something you must do. You must come and hold out your hand and take Jesus Christ. Otherwise, he's not yours. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, am, am, am I a Christian? Well, I don't know if I'm a Christian. But I don't see very many evidences in my life. I don't see repentance. I don't see uh, a trusting in Christ. And so you, th you, th you think, oh, well, I'll wait until that happens. My friend, it will never happen. It will never happen. You will never see any evidences in your life until you come and take Jesus Christ freely offered to you in the gospel. You must take him. You must come to him and come with empty hands. If you came and tried to take my 20 pound note and your hands were loaded with other things, you'd have to put those things down. You come with an empty hand and you receive the free gift of righteousness in Jesus Christ. That's what faith is. Faith is the hand that grasps a hold of Jesus Christ. And when you grasp a hold of Jesus Christ by faith, you are saved. You are justified, never to be condemned again. God declares you righteous on the basis of Christ. You can't imagine the grace and the wisdom of God. And yet there may be some of you in your ignorance who are saying, oh, well, I think I could do a little bit here. I can contribute here. I'll do my best. Your best is never good enough and never will be good enough. If you delay 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, you may never come at all to Jesus Christ. I'm urging you to come now. What else, what else can you do? What can you bring? There's nothing you can bring. You come empty-handed and accept and receive Jesus Christ as he is offered to you in his all-sufficiency as the saviour of sinners. And the moment you do that, you are justified and you have peace with God. Why then would you delay? 
If you wait until you're better, you will never come at all, said a hymn writer. That's too true. That's so true. But if you are a Christian, I want you to stand amazed again at the free gift of God. I want you to stand amazed and think about your Lord Jesus Christ, his perfect obedience, his suffering and dying on that cross to atone for your sins. I want you to think of his grace and kindness as he stands again before us, arms wide open. This one receives sinners. He's received you. He has blessed you abundantly. He's forgiven you all your sins. He's accounted you righteous. When you stand before the judgment seat of God, if you were asked on what basis you come and stand in heaven before this holy God, your plea will be Jesus Christ, his obedience, his blood, his righteousness. Our salvation is amazing. Displays the power and the wisdom of God. May we enter into it with renewed appreciation for Jesus Christ and the love of God extended towards us in his Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.